This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. All right, welcome back to another edition of In Class with Carr, Dr. Gray Carr, head of the Africana Studies program at Howard University. You can follow him at Africana Carr. I'm Karen Hunter, and today we're going to talk about Robert Church. Now, I, Dr. Carr, let me first thank you for indulging me. Um, I was reading this book. I was reading this book by uh, Shamari Wills. Uh, it's called Black Fortune. Yes. And it's six Let black- me that. That's a book that I have not read. I have it over here. So teach the people and teach me about okay. that book so I can pull it up for my shelf. All right. I'm not going to give him give away too much. But what inspired me was, you know, he, he took, he, he um, told the stories of six black millionaires, like who came out of bondage, who became millionaires during slavery, during, while slavery was in existence. So the inspiration is there's no, there's no obstacle that we can't overcome. In this book is Annie Turnbull. That's where I first learned about, not first learned about, I knew about Annie Malone, but he really went into the story of Annie Turnbull, which makes this uh, self-made such an abomination when you think about it. And Poirot, you broke that down, you know, not really broke it down. We're going to get into that another time. But I really got to see how she learned the craft and, and where her heart was. But I also discovered this guy that I never heard of before. Robert Church. And I have been talking about Black Wall Street and I've been talking about this. There's no Black Wall Street without Robert Church. And and you and Ida B. Wells right. checked and challenged him. He writes about this. Yeah. Robert Church was such a powerful person. So I was like, Dr. Dr. Carr, do you know about Robert Church? And you were like, yes. I said, so today we're going to talk about Robert Church. So yeah. thank you for indulging. No, no, no. Thank you. In fact, you know, I'm from Nashville and we know Robert Reed Church, even though he was Robert Reed Church Sr., because he had Robert Church Jr. That's a fascinating story. You know, he was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which, of course, is uh, Ida B. Wells' hometown. He was born in 1839, as you say, well before the Civil War was over. But his father was a white man, riverboat guy, had businesses, and he had a relationship with his father. So it's very interesting to see that Robert Church, Bob Church, as I guess he was known at the time, really began pursuing his business interests in part by working with and for his father. But Robert Church was in his, I guess, he was born in 39, I guess around 1866. You'll see the Civil War is 61 to 65. Church had already developed the habits that would make him uh, the richest black man in the South as a little boy and as a teenager. Now he's in his 20s, the Civil War jumps off, and by 1866, they have a race riot in Memphis. He's in Memphis now. Because remember, the Mississippi River really splits Mississippi and Tennessee. So uh, those of us Tennessee know that if you're in, Miss- if you're in Memphis, you might as well say you're in uh, Mississippi because you throw a rock over Mississippi River and you're right in Mississippi. And, and so Ida B. Wells was born on that side of the Mississippi. Bob Church moved to the Memphis side of Mississippi. And eventually Ida B. Wells would as well with her siblings after the uh, this fever took, took their parents out. At any rate, 1866, Bob Church is making his move in Memphis, you know, buying property, doing business. He gets shot in the Memphis race riot. So, you know, this moment we're in now with these insurrections, listen, race riots are the most American form of violence in American history. By that meaning the attempt to attack black people and black people fighting back. So don't think black people fighting back now is new. When, so those are young people who have this, uh, dear, these shirts that say, dear, uh, Dear white people, I am not my ancestors. Sign these hands. Like somehow y'all fighting because your ancestors didn't. Please take all those shirts, 
and they're from black owned companies, <laughs> you know, let them save the money, tell them to print something else, take all the shirts, get them in a pile and burn those shirts. Why don't y'all have a riot against those shirts? Why? <laughs> because your ancestors fought back. Bob Church got shot in the head. He was left for dead in 1866 in the Memphis riot, but he survived. And not only did he survive, understand that he was living in a city that was hit hard. What was it hit hard by? It was hit hard by a plague that they didn't have any cure for at the time. We're talking about COVID-19 now. The plague that hit Memphis in the 1870s was yellow fever. There's no cure for yellow fever in the 19th century. Yellow fever, dysentery, taking our people out. Before that, in fact, some scholars argue, some we talked about uh, from TB to AIDS, Brother Allen wrote the book. Uh, my man, Frank Snowden Jr. wrote a book called Epidemics in Society. He's a professor emeritus at Yale uh, University. His father was on the class in the classics faculty at Howard University for years, the great Frank Snowden Sr. Frank Snowden talks about the fact that in the 19th century, the most people who died in the Civil War, those soldiers, they died from yellow, uh, they died from yellow fever, they died from dysentery, they died from cholera. And enslaved black people coming out of the Civil War is about four million of us coming out of enslavement in this country. As many as a quarter of them got sick and or died from dysentery, cholera coming out of the Civil War. So when the yellow fever hits Memphis, it decimates Memphis. But Bob Church, Bob Church, who by now in his 30s, Bob Church is buying up property. I tell you, man, these black people, you can't make up. It's like, we need to make a movie about the church family. Bob Church yes. starts buying property. He's getting it on the cheap. But he's also making an investment in the city of Memphis, which is on the brink of collapse. Eventually, the city of Memphis, its charter is revoked. They revoked the charter for the city of Memphis. So the state of Tennessee, the government's like, look, we ain't got no, but then what happens is very interesting, 1878, 1879. Wait, legally, what does that mean to revoke somebody's charter? That, that means you're not a city anymore. You're not a municipality. So what are you? You're people on a land? Who you're unincorporated. In other words, you can have, you know, anything you want that you want to raise money for, whatever, you better do it in your community because you can't qualify for help from the federal government, from the state government, because you're not a legal entity in the same way. You, you police, fire, municipalities, y'all gonna have to raise money for that damn near door to door. Why? Because you're no longer a municipality. You're unincorporated. You know, you, you, you've lost your charter as a city. So the city of Memphis is still there, but the idea that it's a city on paper is not only threatened, it could go out of existence. And then it may just fracture into a lot of little different places, everybody right. for themselves. Bob Church, big landowner now, it's like, nah, I'm not going to see that happen. Not only for my people, but without a city, my people can't advance. I can't advance. Church was kind of a. He wasn't apolitical, but he didn't stick his nose in politics. He preferred to be the guy behind the power, even though he runs up against a lot of these white boys who would prefer not to see a black man. Now, remind you, if, if Bob Church was on this Zoom call with us and having a conversation, a lot of brothers and sisters might blink twice. Say, Is he black? Because he was that kind of. Light skinned, light skinned, light skinned. But when them when them PBS pinchback Negroes, who was in, the <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, oh. in fact Pinston, uh, uh, Pinkney Stewart uh, pinchback was his friend. In fact, that's where well we'll get to that. That's why Ida B. Wells met uh, Bob Church's daughter Molly, uh, also known as Mary Church Terrell. We she met she met they met each other at a thing where. Bob Church, her father, was on the uh, program speaking with his friend, PBS Pinchback. I mean, all these guys knew each other. So at any rate, he's buying property. He's this property owner. 
1878, 1879, the yellow fever is killing Memphis. They done lost their thing. They're going to bring Memphis back. And how are they going to do it? They're going to start floating bonds. We need municipal bonds that are going to invest in the city of Memphis. We'll use the money to restore ourselves, to keep making this progress. Municipal bond number one for the price of $1,000 is purchased by Bob Church. So now the white horse is like, wait, Bob Church is so going to save wait. the city. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you're in Memphis right now, yes. you owe your existence. Come on now. To a black man named Bob Church. Y'all understand, Memphians? Please understand that. Bob Church. And there's probably an echo of the church name. There's still a church part, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Like I say, like, like you said, I love the way you characterize these conversations we have, Karen. They're just breadcrumbs. People are like, damn, Robert Church? Yes, write it down. Robert Church and write down SR, Robert Church Sr. Why? Oh, by the way, so this is where now, now here's all the people who watch you, Karen, who watch every day, who then tune in this channel, who are creatives songwriters, filmmakers, somebody need to make a movie because guess, as you know, how does Bob Church make that money going along? Man, Bob Church got brothels. Brothels. Come night on. Clubs and night yes, come on. <laughs> come on, Bill Street. Bob Church, Bob Church, I know what you Negroes like. I'm going to give it all to you. What you want? Bob Church got the blues. Bob Church helping finance later on. WC Handy. In other words, Bob Church knows what Black people like, but Bob Church is taking the money and buying more property buying more businesses. He's not up in the white face like that, but he's fighting Jim Crow on the low. Let me finance this little piece over here. Let me break off a little money right here. Let me get news clippings on what's going on with the race in the white and the black newspapers. Let me urge on Ida Wells. Let's pause right there. Now, Ida B. Wells, Ida Wells born, High Springs, Mississippi, late 1860s. We talked about Ida B. Wells uh, a few weeks ago. Ida Wells has brothers and sisters. Her brother, for example, gets caught up in the gambling life. I mean, she's got to raise them because their parents are dead, but she's not old enough to be their mama. She's doing the best she can. Right. The brother gets caught up in the streets. Ida Wells is trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Do I need to move from Memphis? Some people are telling because she's a school teacher. All of this is in, 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 in the piece Miriam DeCosta Willis edited that we talked about, uh, The Memphis Diary of Ida B. Wells. Also in her book that Alfreda Duster, her daughter, published posthumously, The Autobiography of Ida B. Wells. So it's all there. She leaves Memphis going to California, got a relative out there. Says, come out here and be a school teacher. She says, okay. She goes to California, cashes her return ticket. And she says, as soon as I cash this ticket, this return ticket to use it, I regretted it. I really don't need to be in California. Between the time she moves all the way out there and comes back to Memphis with stops in Kansas City, other places, Ida Well, and I love Ida because Ida B. Wells is a true black woman. She's brilliant, she's fearless, and she's a sister with a temper. It's always getting her in trouble. <laughs> she cuts somebody out. She gonna write some stuff in the paper. So I don't give a damn. That's what her and Bob Church buff is about, right? right. She's writing in the paper. You know, Bob Church is not really mad at her as such because he's following her because she's always writing. Even during this period, she gets stuck in California. She ain't got no money. She sends word back, writes to Bob Church. She don't know Bob Church like that, but she writes Church and she says, "Look, man." If you'll loan me $150 so I could get back to Memphis, I will pay you back. The reason I'm writing you is because you're the only member of the race that I know in Memphis who has the kind of money that could lend me that kind of money and wait for me to be able to pay it back. Church lends her the money. Ida Wells gets back to Memphis. The rest is history. Let's pause for a second because yes. there's two things that I think yes. that is uh, when I was reading uh, Shamari Wills' book, 
yes. um, Black Fortunes. Yes. She was giving him the business because sure. of the debaucherous, like you gambling, prostitution, alcohol, you know, all of the, all of that sinful stuff. He was profiting from it. And she was like, how, you know, you have all of this money. Why don't you do something good for black people? Right. Why, well, why are you? So he did like she yes. challenged him. And again, like some of us are out there hustling and we're making money. We're unconscious that make us bad people, right. you know, because we have been trained that that's the goal. That's, no the, that's the, the American dream. However you get no, it. Right. No question. I mean, this country is built on the backs of what robber barons, you know, Kennedy right. bootlegging, you know, this is that debauchery is as American as apple pie. Right. Come on now. Come so, on. Now. So this black man is doing what he's seeing around him. And yeah. I'm sure maybe his light skin privilege allowed him, much like uh, who is it, uh, Plessy, you know, and others yes. to be able to, for white people to not, because white people really can't tell who's black and who's white. A lot of That's us were right. able to pass because there's no such thing as race. Right, right. So anyway, so I'm sure he probably used that. Oh, sure he to did. To his advantage. But then she challenged him. Yes. And yes. instead of saying FUB, because that's what happens when people get challenged. F you. No I do what I want. I'm rich. He no was like, question. Okay. So he shut down during the daytime and started bringing in doctors and lawyers and, and created a different business model in Memphis. Yeah. But at night, he went back to that. But during the day, people could be respectable. That's right. In Memphis. But, but go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Y'all watching. This is how we do it. We, we, we're, we're, we're having the conversation and this is what layers our knowledge because that's very important. You see the critique, which isn't a quiet critique. She's raining fire. And then you see, which means what? Those of you out here considering journalism, considering it, don't think that you're doing any of us any favors for biting your tongue. There's a way to do it. And I just- She didn't call him out of his name. No. She's just laying the facts. Laying the facts, there it is. Ida Wells was a master of journalism. It's not personal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This hurting our people. Because understand, as Otto Wells is writing this stuff, white people are raining terror on black people in the South. In fact, there's a moment when, in fact, the People's Grocer, her friend that started the People's Grocer, as we talked about, I mean, they're going to they're gonna eventually lynch people in place. So Otto B. Wells said, this is nothing to be trifled with. And you, sir, are a man that can help us. So that's number one, as you've laid out. Number two, as you've also laid out, changes his behavior. This is the role of journalism. The role of journalism isn't to be a companion to power. The role of journalism is to critique power, to tell the truth. The great journalists of the 19th century, Ida Bell Wells Barnett, Timothy Thomas Fortune, Pauline Hopkins, these, I mean, Henry Manuel Turner in the AME Church Review. I mean, they're writing to help our people and they don't care if it's gonna offend somebody in power because it's not personal. You gotta get your foot off our necks. And if one of us can help, it's our duty to call to you and to make a public call. And to his credit, to the point you've raised, church responded. Church bills, and this, of course, now he's, I love how old folks you say, they probably used to say this to you, Karen. They would say, you can do well while doing good. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Robert Church is stacking dollars. One of the reasons he got rich is because he didn't like to spend money. That's how he could buy that property when the yellow, after the yellow fever thing hit. That's how he could do a $1,000 bond. He got the money. He's holding on to these properties. By the time he passes it on to his son, Robert Church Jr., he got over 300 properties in Memphis. But then he also built, Robert Church builds an auditorium, builds a park. Robert Church builds an auditorium for those lectures, for those conversations. In other words, the church family builds a hall so that black people have this, so they can have their graduations, 
They can have their parties. Now, mind you, he's charging them. I mean, you got to pay, but it's ours. Right. So you ain't got to rent this from nobody else. You and, and, and if we think about that, we see that a lot of places. I mean, we see that with C.J. Walker, her factory, which is still in Indianapolis. I mean, you buy that building. And probably many people listening and talking, and I love how every time you post one of our conversations in the comments, people connect things to their personal lives. Well, the one on Dorothy Porter, the young sister wrote about being a librarian and her mother. Yes. Like, this is, see, this is, our history is not just the history of the people we know. Our history is the history of all of us. We're yes. all connected to this. Somebody from Memphis is going to help us fill in this Robert Church story. So Church builds an auditorium. And here's the thing. Robert Church, now, near the end of his life, he passed away in 1912. Robert Church, by the time he died, the richest black man in the South, one of the richest in the country, came out of enslavement. White man was his father, so he had a different kind of upbringing, but use that business acumen, he has become the father of, uh, uh, let me name two of the children, uh, Robert Church Jr., who we'll talk about just about five minutes on him, because it's very important, because this is how the thing really teaches us a lesson for today. His daughter, Molly, his daughter, Mary Church, Mary Church marries a guy Robert Terrell, Robert Terrell, who got a law degree from Howard University, becomes a judge in Washington, D.C. Robert Church Sr., he says, you know, as being critiqued by Ida Wells and others, I do for the race, but I'm kind of going to play the background in a lot of my politics. But my children, my children, I want them to walk through the world, and they're going to be as free or as good as anybody, and I'm not going to tell them that. I'm going to treat them that way. So both Robert Church Jr. and Mary Church go to Oberlin College. In fact, Mary Church is so bad, at Oberlin, they had the, the curriculum segregated by gender. They had the women's curriculum, and you know what that was. You know how white people look at women. Sewing and exactly, cooking. Exactly, which is why the point you've raised many times, and raised again, we were talking earlier, you know, when we start talking about gender and solidarity, out of Wells, none of them, they never mistook themselves for white women. There's never a time when black women didn't work. Most of the time, raising the children and white women was talking about liberation. So, yeah, they had a women's curriculum, and then they had a men's curriculum. Mary Church showed up and said, cool. Which one is the one with the Greek and the Latin? They said, that's the men's curriculum. She said, I'm taking that. He said, you okay? No, I'm sorry. I'm Mary Church. You don't know my daddy. You don't know me. This is how we get down. She took the men's curriculum, the Latin, the Greek, the whole thing. Oberlin offers her a job. <laughs> like, could you, she was going to be the first black woman appointed at a white school like that. She said, nah, nah, my man is in D.C. I'm going to do this thing over here. Uh, she goes to Washington, D.C. with Terrell. They're the power couple in Washington, D.C. Judge Terrell marries her. Now, here's the other thing. Ida B. Wells meets Mary Church at a thing where her father was speaking with PBS Pinchback and some others, Reconstruction politician, as we know, Lieutenant Governor of Louisiana, PBS Pinchback highest ranking state official during Reconstruction, when those black dudes you were talking about, when Ida Wells meets her, she writes about it in her autobiography, and Paula Giddings does a very good job of this too in her book, Ida, Sword Among Lions. Ida Wells writes in her diary, she says, man, I wish I had met her earlier. This is a woman who is, uh, is, is fully feminine. She's brilliant. She's so sure of herself. I met somebody who I can talk to. I wish, because, you know what I'm saying? In other words, she's like, I wish I had met her when I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? Because this is examples of, these examples of black women, now they have a very different life. Because right. of course, Ida Wells had to fight for everything she had. Mary Church was born on a pillow. 
the house the church has had in Memphis, three-story house, the only one like it. Black people would drive by the house and be like, that's the church house right there. They had servants in the house, like 18, bed, uh, 18 rooms with brilliant place. Ida Wells lived in the same neighborhood, she and her siblings. They moved over there. This was something to aspire to the church. So Mary Church Terrell has her own career, and that would be something, it would be good for us to have a conversation about her separately. She founded the National Council for Negro Women. She and Ida Wells eventually fall out a little bit because she's uh, Mary Church Terrell ends up going to Chicago to help in some campaigns and some white women who run it for office. And they, they by then they've frozen Ida Wells out. This is when they're later in life. They froze Ida Wells out because they couldn't control Ida Wells. So even the black bourgeois women was like, yeah, Ida Wells, we don't know. But so there was some tensions there. There's a whole story behind that. But long story short, the children, Mary Church Terrell, very important, lives to 90 years old, desegregates wow. the restaurants in Washington, D.C. Most people here in D.C. don't even know her. The thing that uh, remains of Mary Church Terrell and the public records of D.C. in terms of what we see, uh, the building, the, 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 uh, the, the store that she helped desegregate, which led to the desegregation of, of Washington's restaurants, is now called Terrell Place. In fact, it's very important. She, she wrote her autobiography, A Colored Woman in a White World. She's brilliant. In fact, I, I won't pause there because we could talk about Mary Church Terrell another day. Her, now, the son, her brother, Robert Church Jr., Church Jr. is born in 1885. Here's the problem. The old man dies, 1912. A guy comes to power in Memphis, an old politician called E.H. Crump. They called him Boss Crump. He, was, he became the mayor of Memphis around 1910, and he served for about five years. And then he served again in 1940. But for all intents and purposes, for about two generations, about 40 years, the man they called Boss Crump appointed or controlled every mayor in Memphis during that period. And he ran his politics, the Democratic Party, in Tennessee, out of, out of West Tennessee, that whole period. Now, why is that important to this story as we kind of draw to a close? Remember, as we talked about before, we were talking about why people should vote. In the 19th century, the Republican Party was the party in the South that was founded for all intents purposes by Black people. Bob, uh, uh, Bob Church, senior and junior, the whole church family were Republicans because that's what you were in the South if you were Black. Church Sr., through his money, was able to influence Republican politics, and that gave him a very powerful position, buying all this property, controlling kind of things, never ran for office himself, but he's the power behind a lot of stuff. The son, like his sister, went to Oberlin, classically trained. In fact, Bob Church took him to, Sr., took him to Europe. Mary Church Terrell and traveled all through Europe. Bob Church Jr. and traveled all through Europe. They don't look at white people. They look at white people like, yeah, you ain't, you know, why are you talking to me? Bob Church Jr., did not run for office, but Bob Church Jr. controlled the Republican Party in Tennessee and was one of the major figures in the Republican Party in the South and had influence at the national level. Boss Tweed comes in. Uh, Boss Crump. Boss Tweed was in up there right. in New yes. York. Right. But it's the same thing. Timmy right. Hall right. of Memphis. In fact, they called him the Tweed of the South. So you wow. already know who this dude was. They hate Black people. They can't mess with, 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 uh, with the church family. They hold too much weight. But Bob Jr., this is what happened. They befriend them. You know, they tell, you know the, the, the machine is like, well, you don't have to pay taxes all the time on your properties. And slowly over the decades, they began to move on the churches. So much so that by the time Bob Church Jr., who has 
controlled much of Republican politics in the South, gets to be an older man, the Democrats, through the Jim Crow laws, through pushing Black people out of politics, and the Democratic Party has assumed control in the South. Now, why is that a problem? Remember, the governor of New York, Franklin Roosevelt, runs for president. 1930, uh, I guess it was 32 or 36, then 40, reelected again, dies in office. He's a Democrat. He relies on the Democrats in the South to help him deliver the vote. In the South, in Tennessee, that means Boss Crump. So you got Roosevelt on Boss Crump's side as Boss Crump is messing with Bob Church, trying to get his properties, trying to mess up, break the back of the Republican Party. You've got uh, Bob uh, Church Jr. trying to maintain his power, controlling politics if he can, all this kind of thing. Eventually, they break Bob Church Jr. They get him on taxes, they get him on debt, they auction off all his wow. property and they destroy the church uh, fortune. Church Jr. moves to Chicago where he tries to reconsolidate his power and on the verge of him trying to get back into this loop, he dies, 1953. It's a tragedy, but I'll, I'll end with this because I want to, just a couple of books for people who want to, there's a, there's a dude who just wrote a book a couple of years ago, Preston Lauterbach, it's called Beale Street Dynasty. This is the, this is the book that, show, that walks you through the history of the church family. Oh, by the way, Beale Street could have been Church Street. Oh, 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 Karen, I must, mm -mm -mm. no, I, I'm, I'm just tripping because let me, uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh my God. Remember the house? We're talking about the church house? The yes, one the three-story. Yes. Watch this. Watch this. It says that less than a year after Robert Church Jr. died, a public safety convention met in Memphis. It's 1953. It showcased the latest in fire extinguishing technology, featuring vendors from across the country. The organizers wanted some place to show off their equipment. The city generously obliged. A vast old empty house was available. Remember the auction? The city bought the stuff. The place stood three stories tall and had turrets and gables with plenty to burn. It'd be an ideal place for a demonstration. City personnel stood at the ready as the church home was set ablaze. These white boys burned down the church. Please understand, folks watching this, Ida Wells is like, you got money, do something. Church responds. The son trying to help people politically behind the scenes as a kingmaker, very important. But individuals do not defeat institutions. They waited the churches out. Even the house they had grown up in was burnt to the ground. And in the city of Memphis to this day, they changed the name of Church Park Beale Street, all the, it had properties down there. Now they restored the name Church Park, but the name of the church family is but an echo. And I showed y'all that book, Beale Street Dynasty, but I wanna show you another one. This is one that I treasure, and it's not that book. Now I respect this guy that wrote uh, Beale Street Dynasty, Preston Lawton back. But I, when I first got the book, I went to the index. You know, when you first get a book, if you know other books on the subject, go to the index, go to the table of contents, Read the first and last paragraphs of each, each chapter so you can get a feel for the book before you start diving in. Why did I go to the index and then to the bibliography? Because I wanted to see if he mentioned this book. See that book right there? The Robert R. Churches of Memphis. The Robert R. Churches of Memphis, a father and son who achieved in spite of the race. You know what was written by? Annette Church, 
who was the uh, daughter, and Roberta Church, who was the daughter. Annette Church was the daughter of Robert Church Sr. And Roberta Church was the daughter of Robert Church Jr. The women wrote the history of the church family. It is not mentioned once in this Beale Street Dynasty book, which makes me say the book is suspect. Because, you know, people are like, this is the first story. Now, go read what the family wrote. If you can find it, always read what the family wrote. And you know who wrote the foreword to this as we conclude? Ida. No, well, no, no, Ida Wells. This is interesting. Ida Wells, who had that relationship, by the time this book comes out, Ida Wells is an ancestor. This book was published in 1974. Okay. But the, the, the foreword of this book, which begins by saying Robert Church Jr. was one of the distinguished, honored, and progressive Negro leaders of America. It was my great pleasure not only to have known him over a long period, but to have counted him as a close and abiding friend. The man who wrote this, who was friends with Robert Church Jr., who uh, knew Robert Church Sr. was the man, who was very good friends with the children, this brother, who got into a little bit of a tiff with black women like Mary Church Terrell because he, he threatened something in 1941 that he pulled back from, was A. Philip Randolph. A. Philip Randolph was like, church, this is how you build power. But A. Philip Randolph, and the thing I'm talking about, of course, is when Roosevelt was elected wow. president, A. Philip Randolph said, we're gonna bring all the black people to Washington, D.C. We know there's getting ready to be a war, but ain't gonna be no World War II, and you do us like you did in World War I, where we go fight for something and come back over here and gotta fight a race war. We want jobs. And so he threatened to march on Washington in 1941. And Roosevelt was like, please don't come. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 8802, desegregating all these jobs in the military. And that's how people watching this who got family in Seattle and Oakland and L.A. and other places, that's how your people got out there. Because a lot of them worked in the shipyards, worked in the factories. Those jobs were desegregated because Roosevelt was scared that Randolph was going to bring everybody to D.C. But here's where the fallout came. After, after uh, Randolph called off the march, guess who was like, yeah, that's good, but we should still come and we need it. And they had a, a, a multi-day conference on the campus of Howard University because they said, yeah, we should have still come, but we're going to still talk about the race because we are the women of the race and we got to solve this problem. It was the black women, Mary Bethune, Mary Church Terrell already lived in D.C. It was like, Phil, what you doing, bro? We, <laughs> we, we get this. We ain't gonna have, no, don't call the march off. We're just getting started the National Council of Negro Women, the Negro Clubs, uh, uh, all, the, all these women, these black women, and Mary Church Terrell, the daughter of Robert Church Sr. was in that movement. So that's just a wow. little bit. And wasn't Mary McLeod friends with Eleanor Roosevelt? Oh, no question. See, that's the other thing. We talked about right, that. Well, let's, about let's, let's pause that, because that's yeah. a whole, we got to do Mary McLeod. Yeah, we got to do, do that. We got to do uh, uh, Terrell. We got to do her. Uh, but but the, what, what really struck me about Robert Church Sr. was yeah. that, like you said, and I, and I think the thing that his son didn't get, and I think sometimes when a person has, who has struggled to get to a place, has children, and we want to leave the path easy for our children, you, you don't allow them to build the muscle that you have to do the next thing. Uh, and we, we talked about John H. Johnson, you mm. know, the, the next generation of that. You know, it's, it's very, very hard for that next generation who has not, they may have seen or witnessed the struggle, but they haven't been in. I talked a little bit off mic about my dad, but yeah. I, I, I could never, you know, really understand. He can tell me something I could, you know, as a, as a sentient being, I can understand it, but I, I don't feel it the same way. No. I have a little bit of privilege, you know, but recognizing that I always keep that at the forefront. I know I have a little bit of privilege because I did not have to go through what my dad went through. How that do you said, feel with that? 
I mean, uh-huh. how, do we deal with that? how do we deal with that, Karen? Because I mean, I, I mean, and again, it's hard for you. You've been talking about this a lot. How do we change the way we think? When we when we jailbreak the way we think, it opens up all kind of possibilities. But here's one very quickly, 30 second thing. I'll, you know, I often think as we're having conversations, I'm reading and studying, we're having and talking with students and listening to their reactions. The closer we were to the lash, the more focused we were on collective liberation. That's not thinking forward to the 21st century. That's thinking backward to the 19th century. When Bob Church almost loses his life in the Memphis race ride of 1866. This kid is like, yo, I'm never gonna be in this situation again. I mean, so how do we, like, like I said, the feeling your father had, the feeling my father had, the thing that we saw but did not experience. How can we tap better into that? What's so happening to it now? Through. This generation, I've said yeah. it before, these 20, 21, 20, 19, 18, they're gonna be the ones because we got we got comfortable. The 80s and 90s, we got comfortable because we weren't, you know, there were there were killings, of course, but it wasn't, it wasn't. As, as prevalent, you know, it wasn't the 50s, 60s, it wasn't Selma Pettus Bridge, it was, you know. Interesting. And, and, and many of our parents wanted to shield us from it. My father made me watch Iron the Prize. No question. You know, I'm sure you, you know, so, yeah. so a lot, the responsibility is to, you don't want to traumatize your children, I get it, we've moved on, I get it. Uh, this generation's probably least, you know, the 20 year olds don't care about race as much as the previous generations which is why you see a lot of white, there are a lot of white skateboarder kids out there protesting <laughs> in addition to the interlopers and the, no and the folks that have an agenda no because they, they don't see color the same way. No. And that's, that's hopeful. Yes. But, the, but the reality is it's your responsibility as a person who has children in your life to yes. expose them. It's the thing that our Jewish brothers and sisters understand. They say never forget. So they, they have, you, you have to go back. They make you, if you're in a Jewish faith, you have to know the Holocaust. You're yeah. going to go back. You're going to, you know, and, and they keep the history at the forefront. The bar mitzvah is the bar mitzvah. You keep your language alive, right? So you got to learn your language. You got to learn your history. You got to learn whether it's borrowed or not. We can have that discussion. I'm in Ra, hello. You're going to learn it. And then you're going to be forced, even if you don't practice, because 90% of the people in Israel don't practice the faith. Right but they know every single ritual that goes into being Jewish. That's very powerful. So, so, so they have a whole country of people that don't follow the religion. Most of the people, and I'm not, this is a fact, so don't at me, don't call me anti-Semite or whatever. Right. Most of the people in Israel do not follow the religion who call themselves Jewish people, but they understand the power of, of who they are My God. and making sure that the next generation, the next generation, the next generation understand. You got to go through that. That, that act, rite of passage. Act, and they act on it. I mean, we, I didn't that mention too. it. That's well, powerful. I, well, let me ask, is, is one of the six that he writes about in Black Fortune, uh, Richard Robert Wright, R.R. Wright, I don't know if he's- No, no, oh, I don't. No, the reason I raise that is because to, the, to your point, um, uh, Bob Church Sr. started something called the Solvent Savings Bank for Black people in Memphis. By the time he died in 1912, it had about a million dollars of assets. It, huh. They lose it during the Depression, of course. I mean, the Depression right. hits in the 20s. Except but, for Mar- Mary Lena Walker is the only one that had a bank that survived the Depression. She got to be on there, too. All right. Mary uh, Lena oh, Walker. My goodness. And in fact, uh, I take this very, I mean, somebody when we were talking about Ida Wells being a G. Yeah, we were using the 21st century, the hip-hop language. Yeah. So maybe G is not the best thing. Yeah. What, whatever the highest praise is for a world builder in our, in our space, Ida B. Wells, and, and shoulder to shoulder with her is Maggie Lena Walker. That's yes. a, Yes, let's call them a C then. Let's call them C for the Candaces. 
the Candace. Oh, nice. Yeah, put that Ethiopian on it. I'm going yeah, to change. I'm going to change it. All right. Go ahead, Candace. <laughs> but, the reason, but the reason I raise it is because Richard Robert Wright was a little boy coming out of enslavement. He came okay. out of Cuthbert, Georgia. He started something called the Citizen Savings Bank. Still exists in Philadelphia. He was the president of Savannah State University. But anyway, not to go on that, on that tangent. When you talk about people in Israel, whether they, are, they keep the religious practice or not, using culture as the background and as the foundation for behavior, these brothers and sisters, in terms of Magdalene Walker, starting these banks and these institutions, in 2020, when we say, well, why would I go to a black bank when I get more services from, no, your culture is what animates your choice. You've got to see ourselves as a group. And so until they can get to the point where they can give you everything you could get at a Chase Manhattan or something else, you put your money there because your institution building, everything can't just be about the dollar. The dollar is animated by behavior. And that's- And trust. And trust. And culture. That's right. That's right. That's right. Ah, yeah, I know. Oh, man. (laughs) So- so, so the other thing that I, I wanted to say about Robert Church is, yeah. you know, as I was reading in, in Shamari Wills' book, he funded the, the Oklahoma land because they, so he funded, he gave money. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't just Memphis and Bill Street. No. That Oklahoma expansion that turned into what we know now as Tulsa, Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black That's Wall right. Street. That's right. Because I was always starting a story. And again, we have to learn how to start the story from the beginning. That's right. Our story doesn't start with Egypt. Nope. Uh, so so when, when they go to Africa, they go to Egypt. Egypt. Egypt is a byproduct of something else, right? Egypt is the end, is the end of a long period of experimentation yes. and expansion. That's right. So, so, and our story doesn't start with slavery. Nope. You know, uh, at all. Slavery happened 10 minutes ago yes. in our history. Yes. <laughs> no so, so, so this is important, and I'm just learning this, because I would always talk about the Black Wall Street, the Black Wall Street, and I would oh, talk about... Yeah. You know, I would talk about um, uh, J.B. Stratford, and I would talk about, of course, O.W. Gurley, and yes. these guys with a vision. Yes. No, it was Robert Church's vision. Come on. And, and his fact, dollars. I'm glad you raised that because it's very important to understand, again, we're talking about West Tennessee, which really Mississippi. Understand, and it's like this is a quick story, in the 1860s during the Civil War, when the Union Army went south, African people on those plantations, many of them were used to grow cotton, to do all this stuff, to fund the union effort. They had to convince those black people to do that because black people started smashing the cotton jams. We ain't growing no cotton. So the lie they told them in places like Davis Bend, Mississippi, and in the sea in South Carolina was, if y'all farm this land, we'll give you the land. That was the 40 acres and a mule promise in South Carolina. They reneged on it and they let those former Confederates come back, take the land, that's kind of thing. And they want to call us the N-word. Exactly. But why is that important to the the move West? Well, here's what happened. At the same, when they reneged on black black people, that promise in the 1860s and 1870s and 80s, Reconstruction and after, they then opened up the West. Mind they 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 fighting against the the people who live there. You say they opened up the West. You mean they murdered and massacred a bunch of uh, native people. Exactly. They killed (laughs) settler colonialists. They fighting against them. But part of the reason that they're pushing against them, they're using us, meaning anybody east of the Mississippi, they say, we'll give y'all homestead land. So mm. they're trying to move people out there and move the Native Americans off their land, and it's genocide. Buffalo that's soldiers. The, Buffalo soldiers, the 9th, 10th Cavalry, 24th, 25th Infantry, that's exact. And the reason they're called Buffalo soldiers in part, not only are they fierce fighters in the Indian Wars, which we should not be proud of, 
some of those black people actually made friends with the Native Americans. You have Negroes going AWOL as well. You read Gerald Horn's book, Black and Brown, about how we treated people in Mexico and vice versa. It'll show you the roots of Cinco de Mayo have in part because black people was leaving and saying, okay, we're going back, we're going on patrol now. And them Negroes going to Mexico and never coming back. In other words, your enemy is not our enemy. But yes, the army is fighting, George Custer and you know, all this kind of thing. Black people start moving west in part to get away from this racial terror. Ida Wells is really fought by the white people in Memphis, the white leaders in Memphis, because after they kill her friend and destroy the people's grocery, she puts in her paper, you know what? The law can't protect us, let's leave. And Robert Church and them is like, we will finance people going to Oklahoma, going to the territories. Mound Bayou in uh, Mississippi, Mound Bayou. And that's a whole nother story. They had a, oh. they had a hospital, they had all kinds of stuff. The guy who helped start Mount Bayou, his father had been enslaved on that plantation where they reneged on the promise for the cotton. They said, we got y'all. We're going to start an all-black town. So when y'all go to the museum in, 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 in D.C., the Smithsonian, the so-called Blacksonian, when you see those all-black town signs, think of Robert Church, because it took somebody with some finance capital to stake these cats. So by the time they end up in Tulsa, and when they, by the time they end up in places like Nicodemus, Kansas, you think about a guy named Pap Singleton, 1879. Benjamin Pap Singleton came out of Tennessee. You got, you can count the people, who, black people who can help finance those moves on one hand with some fingers left. And the first finger go up is Robert Church Sr. out of Memphis. Church understood. If you own it and control it, you can have prosperity for everybody. So yes, yes, you're right, Karen. You cannot tell the story of those West black towns or those black districts like Tulsa in the Greenwood area of uh, Tulsa in Oklahoma. You can't tell that story without Robert Church because they're financing that move West. That's absolutely right. And on that note, in class with Carr. Yes, and we're going to be here every Saturday. So I appreciate you. Follow us, of course, at Africana Carr. That's his handle. I'm at Karen Hunter on the Twitters. And subscribe, 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 and then share the video when you get it. Because this is these are the lessons that they didn't teach me in school. So I'm Neither. grateful that uh, you got to go to Howard to, to get some of this stuff. And I'm sure you can't come even to really, us. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Because I don't know if, if this is on the curriculum. Yeah, no, you, it ain't on that. the curriculum. No, nah, yes. we jailbreaking the Black University. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wherever we are. <laughs> Dr. Gray Carr, thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you, Professor. I appreciate you too. See you again soon. All right.